uh, in America, because, well, I'll say it because of capitalism, you know, people are so often in a position where they feel like they have to go into work when they're sick, you know, obviously, I mean, this certainly this is the case with COVID, but even outside of the pandemic and it's sort of like insane cultural implications, like people have always felt like, you know, well, you got a cold, you go into work, you got the flu, like if you can physically stand, whether you're in an office job or, you know, working, uh, in a warehouse or, uh, you know, construction, whatever it is, you, you're pretty much going into work if it's if physically possible because you don't have paid sick leave. Um, and you know, this is a, this is a great indignity. It's a damage to the health of that person, you know, it makes your cold last longer, but obviously like it's spreading disease and, and, you know, at the very least, um, even if there's not like really like political will to, to protect like the need and the right of like sick leave paid sick leave for people. Obviously there is at least like, you know, an effort sometimes uh, to guilt people into staying home when they're sick because of the, the, you know, implications for the spread of illness, you know, making your coworkers sick. Like that's, you know, why a lot of these things go around. And I, you know, whereas again, like that's not like maybe an ideal like framing for that. Like it is important. I think you should stay home when you're sick because of, you know, that the spread of disease. Um, the thing is, none of that is really implicated in podcasting uh, by video call. So, Brian, you should fucking be here because like what, what I came two weeks ago, I was sick for the first time in four years. I showed up and potted. I got out of bed. What are you doing, man? It was your Jordan <laughs> flu game, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, Brian, uh, you're on report. Nobody uh, that's wants a demerit. to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to pot anymore. <laughs> Welcome back to Mechanical Freak from Seattle and New York, those uh, cities of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. I'm Greg. I'm here with Munya. Hi, Munya. Hey, hey, how's it going? And we are very excited to be joined by our friend of the show, Hannah Krieg, Seattle local reporter for The Stranger. Thanks for coming, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's been a while, We, but, you know, there's so much there's so much council stuff going on. You know, we've got a whole new council. We've got... Uh, an interesting uh, pageant unfolding right now to fill the vacant seat that uh, the election couldn't manage to fill. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on and talking to us about that. Uh, I, I gather from online last night, I saw on, on X.com that you were at some kind of uh, forum for the candidates who made the short list to be uh, appointed by the council itself, I guess, to fill the vacant seat in wait, which 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 seat is it actually? It's a citywide, right? Oh, it is. Number it's one eight, of the technically number eight. One of the at large. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. So, tell us how was that? Was that just a barrel of laughs? <laughs> a barrel of laughs. Uh, no, uh, it was normal and fine. Uh, Seattle, I think it's Seattle City Club did a great job. Um, of course, hosting something that's hard. But uh, the council picked eight people out of the seventy-two people who applied. Um, even though they really some wanted of our to listeners, by the way, some of your listeners. Are, who's your listener who's on it? Well, apl applied in the seventy-two. Oh. <laughs> 
you know. In the seventy-two, we did have some particularly deranged people follow our instructions to uh, submit themselves. That's so funny. I was like, yeah. who on that board listens to Mechanical Freak? I was like, I don't know. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. Were, all in a them? mean way. Maybe uh, Lintai. Lintai. All of them. <laughs> With the pulse of the city, Hannah. Everyone listens. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Tanya probably, yeah, is on the Patreon. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, she actually got our, her ideas from us. Brian. Yeah, yeah. Our ideas yeah from specifically us. not yeah. voting. She picked that up from Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a it was a fine event. It was mostly the eight people that the council picked, kind of regurgitating their um, applications. And then there was a few good questions about are you going to tax rich people? To which basically everyone said no. I think um, yeah. Vivian Song, who's like an urbanist um, who also serves on or sits on the school board, she's uh, into taxes. She's kind of the only one that kind of stands out as someone who would tax rich people and also build more housing. Um, that she, that was the main difference, I guess. Everyone else kind of blended together. Um, even, even the two cops in the room kind of just felt like everyone else. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, your headline on Vivian song was big business does not want Vivian song on the Seattle city council. Um, and that was even before this. I think that while big business doesn't want her, I think it's weird that they don't want her. I think she, I think she would be fine for big business, um, and that she like is fr- like friendly to her policies would be friendly to developers, which is important yeah. to business. Um, she's not an abolitionist by any means, you know. She she likes cops just fine, so I don't think she's going to do anything. I mean, she was appointed by Dan Fucking Strauss, you know. Dan defund was a mistake, Strauss. So I think she would be a a fine representative for the business community. <laughs> and she has like relationships there. So it's just strange. Doesn't she have like an MBA from Harvard? I think like I read somewhere Some that she fancy does. School, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like in economics or something. So it's like, this is not like a gender studies major running for yeah. city council, you know? <laughs> well, you know, the chamber types have a bad taste in their mouth uh, with economists from Shama Swan. So and i mean if andrew lewis isn't good enough for the business community in this town then presumably vivian song isn't um so tanya Wu then is the one like everyone has been talking about since the day after the election and i see uh you posted uh some kind of poll here that uh she came out on top in in the end after the forum. Like, is that really what's happening? Like, I haven't been able to get a sense. Like, there's from the beginning, the loudest noise has been made about Tanya Wu being appointed to this seat. And mm-hmm. but I, I can't really get a sense of like, is that like real? Is that like do you have a sense of like where any of that is going? Or is it does it feel like uh they could make some other choice? I mean she definitely has a constituency. I mean, she lost by 400 votes. So people, some people like her in her district. It mm-hmm. seems like people come to public comment for her. I don't know. There wasn't a bunch of woo people last night. From what I could tell, there's a lot of people there for Mari uh, Sugiyama. But um, I think the council definitely really loves her. I mean, everyone, when they were, Sarah Nelson let everyone nominate like one of their faves from the 72 
And like four of them said, wow, I wish I, w- I went first so I could have nominated Tom- Tanya Wu. I just love her so wow. much. So it's like she, okay. even just from that kind of like informal setting, one, you know, unless yeah. Joy was kind of vague about who she was talking about when she was like, oh, one of my first picks got chosen. So, but I mean, I think there's some people who are really hopeful that especially Kathy and Joy, who kind of ran up against some criticisms about the extent to which they support uh, housing development. You know, they might see Tanya is kind of known for, you know, she wants to downzone certain areas. She's kind of known as like the big business choice. I know that Kathy and Joy or Hollingsworth and Moore, sorry, like really sensitive to people calling them like the corporate candidate, the business candidate. Mm -hmm. So maybe this kind Mm -hmm. of bad press or this kind of messaging about Tanya might make them want to shake that early reputation they earned. And maybe they'll go for Vivian. I know that Joy and Vivian know each other from candidate boot camp. So I don't think I don't think it's out of the question that Joy flips, even though it seems like her and Tanya were pretty close. I mean, you become buddies with people when you run for council, I'm sure. So I know the power of friendship's hard, so we'll see if Vivian can overcome that. But she would be the only one out of the eight who really could get the numbers besides Tanya. And even that would be kind of a miracle. Yeah. Okay. So it, I guess that's been the sense is like, it, that's been the conversation that's been happening among the, uh, the new council from the beginning. Seems like Tanya Wu has been on people's lips. Mm-hmm. So then also you've been writing about the new council, um, Sarah Nelson from, you know, in her first term, someone of the minority co- conservative coalition, um, in the last council and now president. Yeah. Can you tell us like, you know, what, what is your sense? Like, what are your biggest takeaways from the first uh, month or whatever of uh, her term as president and the new council generally? Yeah. I mean, it's wild how much things can change uh, from one election. Uh, Sarah Nelson was like, I mean, people like the normies on the council would call her like the Shama Sawant of the right. You know, it was like, Mm. she was like Donald Trump to them. You know, it was like, she was so conservative or at least they thought they were so different from her. And then now she has uh, these, like, the fast four behind her. And they just, like, can do, like, it, it's crazy. And she's already sort of started exercising her power to uh, remove uh, the central staff, director of central staff, Esther Handy, who kind of made, some people are like, maybe it's a political thing because she's sort of this progressive that comes from uh, Puget Sound Sage and some other, like, uh, I don't remember what it was called, but another kind of progressive, like democracy is important organization. Um, mm-hmm. And um, then he, she replaced her with someone who in uh, coming out of the pandemic was writing memos to the city council saying, Hey, you guys have to do some austerity. Like, please God do a little bit of austerity and in this economic time. So it seems like she's really, uh, it's Sarah Nelson's world and we're just living in it. It's just, just going to do what she's going to do. Right. Yeah. And feels like they're in line with the mayor pretty much too. Um, does that, is that your sense? And also, I mean, incredibly the city attorney, like that is really the wing that, um, (laughs) that Sarah Nelson represents right. Ever since, um, the election of Ann Davison, the Trump Republican to city attorney, in uh 2021 i guess yeah yeah um 
you know, it was Sarah, the Sarah Nelson wing that was lined up with her on like the drug criminalization, which I'm, you know, we're going to get to when we talk about our, our buddy Andy. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that's like part of why you might like as a more normie Democrat uh, on the council, like really think of her as different maybe is like that she's clearly taking meetings with and like coordinating with the like arch conservative uh, nut job MAGA Republican mm -hmm. city attorney. Yeah. And to be fair, she always like on the campaign trail in 2021 always was separating herself from the current council, which is something that all her like newly elected buddies did too. Like we're not like other girls. We mm -hmm. love cops and we would rather do sales tax than like uh, capital gains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that seems like the, uh, the way going forward. Do, what do you think? Like, from what you're hearing from them, from Sarah Nelson, from what you're writing about, like is going to be the, what are the priorities for them for this new council on, you know, Harold for, or for Harold having this new council, having Sarah Nelson, like, what do you think are the, the big changes that are actually going to shake out? Because even before this council, even just with Harold coming in, what I guess his term started in beginning of 2022. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, uh, it, it certainly seemed like, sweeps of uh the unhoused like stepped up dramatically and was much more enforced which is like what you know a whole section of the city has been like begging for 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 years mm -hmm. um so they're all they're already doing that without having this new council you know with shama swan still on the council uh and they already passed last year a a version of the a local criminal drug ordinance ordinance um which again, we should like talk about that when we get to Andrew. No, but yeah. yeah, what do you see as like how they carry this farther? Like, what are their actual like priorities going to be from the city now um, that it's run by conservatives? I think we'll see it in like the the Spog negotiations. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to have to, you know, give cops raises and then back pay. And so they're mm -hmm. going to spend a fuck ton of money and probably not get any accountability stuff. They're going to spend a bunch of money. And because they're anti-tax, by and large anti-tax, they're like going to take that money from other places. That's their first step is we're going to make budget cuts. And the places they're going to cut, from what I'm hearing, people are worried they're going to cut. I mean, obviously, they haven't said this, but like the Office of Labor seems to be something that would be in danger um, anything funded by Jumpstart, so that's like affordable housing and uh, Green New Deal priorities would uh, probably be first on the chopping block. Um, Effectively making Jumpstart be, you know, ultimately after the, the big, you know, essentially years long fight for getting something like that passed, having it end up paying for cops after the new spot contract is exactly. where it's going. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, that would, and that's exactly what the chamber wants them to do. So it just, I mean, that what seems to be going to be the big battles is how much we're going to pay the cops, if we're going to give more hiring bonuses, and then are we just going to take all that money from Jumpstart and from other programs because no one has an appetite to do any progressive taxation? So, and then comp plan will be big, but. I don't know. What's that? Uh, how that put the comprehensive plan. It's like the 10 year roadmap for how the city can build 
So yeah, so that that's we'll like see how they go with that. that's zoning and like road stuff, mm-hmm. basically, right? Yeah, and yeah. so so the conservatives you mentioned, like Tanya Wu's, like um, seems to be for like down zoning. Like there was, you know, there that's been a big push by a lot of people in the city to um to upzone a lot of the city and one can imagine a conservative business friendly council kind of going either way on that um depending on their particular proclivities like mm-hmm. do you sense this council is going to be for upzoning some of the city to you know which developers want of course to be able to uh build buildings uh or are they going to be conservative in the sense that they uh, are zealous about maintaining like the single family homes. I think that the, the happy like conservative medium is like to rely on the urban village model and to like stuff all the housing into like these, I don't know, what is it like 14 or 28 mm-hmm. or some, I don't know, some dozens of uh, areas that have a lot of housing. And you'll hear that when they're like, I want to do comprehensive plan five, which relies on the urban village model. And I want housing to be on major arterials and near transit when, and Mm -hmm. then the flip side of that, the more like progressive side is that we all need to share in um, having housing in our neighborhoods. Uh, So we need to have apartments everywhere, not just in poor neighborhoods or in, the urban centers or in places that have been like gentrified to hell and back. So I think they will be more towards the urban village model, I guess is what I would predict. Okay. So urban villages. So basically, yeah. Continuing a lot of the same, which is, uh, developing and yeah, just the small areas. Um, and, uh, I, I can guess that, the comp plan five then probably doesn't include uh, a lot of more spending on like public housing or anything. Cause we got to pay for cops. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what the spending is like in any of the comp plans, but I don't, I don't know how many of them supported I one thirty five or the public housing thing. So that'd be a good thing to check up on once I one thirty five announces their funding mechanism initiative which I think is coming soon. Okay. So one of the reasons we had you on Hannah is to help us say farewell to our friend, our comrade, our wettest council member in the last term. (laughs) It's it's wild ways out there with that guy, man. (laughs) Sweaty boy, Lewis. (laughs) That's right. Andrew Lewis. Lewis. uh, My, my council member from the seventh, I guess maybe this will be the last time I mentioned that I actually uh, went to college with him at UW. Uh, we were there at the same time. <laughs> you guys are really, yeah, you guys were classmates. You guys were. <laughs> yeah. So you wrote um, a piece everyone should check out in Strangers Now, like uh, over a week old, but you know, um, it's that good. Go back, uh, use the Wayback Machine uh, back to the old <laughs> internet uh, 11 days ago. It's titled Drugs, Hotel Workers, Waffles. What happened to council member Andrew J. Lewis? Uh, subtitled Andrew Lewis becomes youngest council member to lose re-election. That's, that's so beautiful. And that's from uh, our friend here, Hannah Creek and the stranger. Uh, let me just read the beginning here. Yeah. It says, uh, when council member 
Andrew Lewis, called the stranger to announce his run for re-election last January, he marketed himself as a bridge builder between the two institutional powers in Seattle politics, business and labor. But by the end of his race, one of the city's most prominent business leaders denied ever endorsing him. The union that got him elected the first go-round completely snubbed him on spending, and the big business pack that spent nearly $200,000 to support his opponent, Bob Kettle, superimposed his face on a stack of waffles. So while Lewis said last year that his endorsements, and thus his political alignment, quote, defy easy categorization, unquote, one can now clearly categorize him as defeated. Hannah Krieg. <laughs> Burn. Who wrote that? She's a bitch. <laughs> oh, our favorite loser, uh, Andrew Lewis. What's his deal? Like, who was this guy to you? You know, you spent the last um, four years covering him on the council. Uh, like, what does he? What does he mean to you? Um, again, everyone should check out this article. We'll link it. What does he mean to you? How do how do we taxonomize him as a political animal? Yeah, t- tell us, tell us what you got like looking back and thinking about like this guy, Andrew Lewis. I think Andrew Lewis is the ultimate. I would get a beer with him, politician. You know, oh. you got to hand it to him. Mm. He 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 can ride a bike around his neighborhood. But I mean, I think beyond that, he's sort of a, a cautionary tale about, I mean, who's going to stand with you when they don't know where you stand. And mm-hmm. if it he his loss really shows the power of big business. And if you're not with us, you're against us. He did one thing they didn't like, and I think that really could cost an election. But at the same time, I mean, he also didn't do enough for the people who got him elected in the first place, which is labor. You know, trying mm-hmm. to play both teams you kind of fall through the middle. So I think that might be the lesson to be learned from Andrew Lewis. It was always shocking to me. It was always shocking to me to see how much Unite Here spent on Andrew Lewis in 2019 and to see how he acted immediately as if they weren't the sole reason why he was in the seat. Like, I, I, it, it baffled me his first term. And I even tried to bring this up during like the 2020 protests and stuff. I'm like, who do you think got you elected like who, who why why are you like big business spent a lot against you you know like um it was crazy to me mm-hmm. you say it later in the article but unite here uh almost spent nine hundred thousand dollars on his uh campaign you know which was like you know that's a, a pretty crazy sum yeah which is more than labor spent this entire 2023 election it's a ton of money yeah and for what i mean they i called up the unite here um, what is this? Maybe he's a secretary treasury or something, whatever their like title is when they're the big boss of the union. But I, I called up their big, big, big union guy. And he's like, well, Andrew Lewis is just disappointing. You know, he didn't do, he was, he, it's easy to like support labor in the pandemic. I think like there was some like, okay, maybe he'll be like a good guy. Cause, um, he's, joining other council members in their efforts to protect workers in the pandemic. But then after that, you know, there didn't feel like at least to unite here that there was enough leadership on continuing that work. And I guess, for example, he did a package of protections for gig workers and then he totally gutted it himself. You know, he mm-hmm. cut out a whole segment of workers, even when his co-sponsor was like, Hey, Andrew, that's really dumb and we shouldn't do that. And it was mm-hmm. a, 
amendment that Sarah Nelson brought forward, you know? So I think it's just, they didn't get their, their return on investment. It wasn't worth the $800,000. So. Yeah. I mean, you got to feel like if you're unite here, having spent that, which is a large sum of money to spend on one candidate in a city council race here, um, you know, in a year that, you know, uh, there was a lot of spending, but you got to feel like that buys you something, right? Like you got to feel like mm-hmm. if you're sitting there, like y- as a union boss, uh, the people who convinced their membership, you know, to approve that, you know, to, and to get out for Andrew and, and approved that amount of money, you got to, you're sitting there feeling like the old, you know, the old political adage, you got to dance with the one who brung you. And it's like, you got to be feeling like Andrew Lewis didn't get the memo. And that's got to be embarrassing on some level too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. To have elected someone and spent all your union dues on that. And then the first thing he says when he runs for reelection is I'm the guy for big business. <laughs> like I, I'm, yeah. I'm for everyone, you know, the cheese tree well, at the party. It's funny too, because not only did the unions spend, uh, $890,000, but they also members came out in full force and canvassed a lot too. I mean, like the amount of actual like time that was dedicated to mm-hmm. that campaign was pretty, pretty shocking. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that on that scale where there was such a disregard for, you know, the, the people who actually got him elected, which is just fascinating to me. And he, he, you know, his campaign in 2019 was like based on that was running as the, I'm going to be the the young overeducated lawyer for labor guy um like with him in the like safety vest or the carhartt jacket or whatever on the work site in that mailer or maybe it was a commercial <laughs> you know like that was his whole his whole bit which makes you know me ask the question like what do we have a sense of what happened like is it i it's hard he's so he's so wet that it's hard to like conceive of him as as cynical you know like he's so just like weepy and sweaty and limp that like it's hard to imagine like he was cynically like pulling the wool over unite here's eyes or whatever like it seems like there's some hubris uh some entitlement uh at work here like what what is your sense of like what happened like what happens to someone like that or what did happen to Andrew Lewis when he got in there that like, do you, you have a sense of like what were the forces in his mind or otherwise that were pulling him that way? I think if you asked him, he wouldn't say he got pulled anyway. You know, yeah. I think he thinks he he did just enough for labor and he, he thought of them always thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. And he also was doing a lot of stuff with, the business community, mostly because, you know, he's in district seven. So he does a lot of stuff with downtown working Mm -hmm. with those people a lot. And I don't know, I guess, I think there's just this kind of disease in electoral politics where you really do think if I want to get as many votes as possible, I should appeal to as many people as possible, but then you're spreading yourself too thin or you're not being one authentic person. And so you like, might have a better shot just running to one side or the other. Um, and I think that's just something people develop when they're in, in the halls of power and they're like mm-hmm. teamwork collaboration and we're all one, you know, when you're on the inside, it feels maybe different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's it. I think you're right. It's like a kind of liberal 
delusion about like um it just being about like good governance like smart people making the right decisions mm -hmm. you know and so for him maybe there is again it's like it's hard to imagine but i think there is like a cynicism inherent in that because like he he ran in that you know when he's running the first time in 2019 he's taking all that money uh and he's running on it he knows he's using unite here's cash to get elected but you know he's not thinking of himself i think in, in that moment as i'm going to be the labor can i'm going to be the labor councilman i'm going to be responsible to mm. these people not maybe and he wouldn't see it as cynical, right? He would see it as I'm going to get in there and do the good job. And these people, the fine people at Unite here have heard me talk about how I want to do such a good job and do the right things so much that they've decided I'm the right, smart, educated, good guy to do the job for them, you know? But it's not the same mm -hmm. kind of politics as like being responsible to a constituency or maintaining a political line, God forbid. Mm-hmm. So, and then, of course, he loses now. So that's where the story's going. He he eats shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he didn't lose by much, but he did. He did lose. So it didn't work. Like that's that's the other thing here. Like it could have worked. You can imagine. I mean, people do it. Democrats certainly like run as you know labor candidates or progressives or whatever, ever, and then govern in other ways and maintain their position. You know as incumbents basically you know because it's it's easy to get reelected as an incumbent like so what is different here like why was he not able to just make that turn do his little do the minimum for labor and and maintain his seat as an incumbent like uh what changed or like what didn't um, work for him i guess in 2019 there was much higher like turnout and so um, progressives did better in that way. They also had more money, which I don't think is like separate. I think if you have more money, you can turn more people out. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I mean, obviously his choices in council made it so that labor wasn't as excited or even business wasn't that excited to give him the money that it takes to buy enough mailers to do the whole thing to get people out to the ballot box. It does take money to turn people out or like crazy 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 ground game or something but yeah, or enthusiasm um, you know yeah <laughs> but it seems like their numbers weren't there shama retired from the council at the end of this last term she was undefeated uh whatever uh 10 years 18 elections uh undefeated every time you know it wasn't because like uh business was giving her any cash it was because in part People knew what she stood for and it was very clear. And she was doing she was doing a different kind of politics, both in the way that she legislated and in the way that she then turned that into campaigning and a a political uh narrative, you know, her, of her image, you know, what she stood for. Um, mm -hmm. you always knew where she stood. It's very difficult to know where Andrew stood a lot of the time. Um, so it's very easy for me to say, like, that that's part of why he lost. What do you think is his? You talked to him, you know, what what is his sense of why he lost. He thinks it was the drug bill is what he yeah. would say. And I think that's probably part of it, but it's that is predicated on the fact that you didn't have labor there to pick you up when business like dropped you, mm -hmm. you know, 
you had already kind of that ship had sailed and then you did one thing that honestly business misunderstood because he came back and did it again, like voted for basically the same bill anyway. So, but uh, I think, yeah, he thinks it was the drug bill is what he heard from voters at the doors at least. Well, no, it's funny because, you know, the DSA that we know and love, uh, you know, the Downtown Seattle Association, um, I, as we mentioned up top, uh, you know, deeper in your article, Hannah, you, um, you know, say that uh, John Scholes, uh, you know, basically Lewis uh, bragged about his endorsement and then he uh, literally asked him to remove his name from the website, John Scholes did. And like denied ever endorsing Andrew Lewis in the first place, like a huge just like kind of turn after that. Right. And you would think that that would signal something uh, to Andrew Lewis about where he stands, like, you know, in the business community that like maybe these guys, you know, aren't writing for you the way that you think they are, you know, (laughs) like um, is kind of giving you the stick a lot of the times. But um, it didn't seem like that changed uh, the way you thought. I think the way that we were saying is that he's kind of approaching this from this a kind of naive liberal lens of governance, right? Instead mm-hmm. of, um, you know, forces of power at play, you know, thinking that, yeah, you know, like people, we mad this and that, but it's about the logic and reason and ideas of what I do rather than, you know, the mm-hmm. forces of power that are actually controlling, like, you know, the uh, city council and city government, right? So um, I thought that that was a very funny uh, anecdote from like the, from the drug bill. I, th- I don't think this made it in the story because I couldn't find what press re- what press conference it was. But I remember like and me and Ashley at the stranger were like laughing about it because uh, Bruce and or Mayor Bruce Harrell and Lewis appeared in a press conference together. And I think they were talking about the drug bill. And Bruce said something so funny. It was like, our man made a mistake, but he's back. <laughs> and so I think Incredible. I think there was some behind the scenes like he really thought he had rebuilt the relationship where he felt like when we were having these longer discussions about the drug bill, like people were using inside voices and it was like, so civil people will understand like where I'm coming from and like big business will be like, I'm so glad that we have this time. But I think what he later realized is business needed that momentum. They needed that win right then to show there. It was like a, a show of power, I guess. Like yeah. we're going to get, exactly mm-hmm. what we want, when we want it. And we're not going to wait for Mamdi Pamdi Andrew Lewis to <laughs> water it down by pretending that there's money for treatment, you know? Yeah. So I think, right. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's discipline. They're disciplining him. And in this mm-hmm. case, that went as far as disciplining the next person, disciplining Bob Kettle by getting rid of Andrew Lewis. You know, like it's, it is, it's a show of power to, discipline the council to show them like that you have to jump when they say jump like it is funny like that whole that whole scenario is so um is so bizarre and insane i mean but it it is a case of like yeah him like thinking he's doing the good governance thing and thinking like that's going to be okay which you can understand because that bill was so fucking stupid um whatever you think about you know, carceral solutions to, uh, any drug problem. Like, I mean, just to get into it a little, I mean, I, my sense, our sense has been that he didn't, you know, he's not even voting when he votes again. So this, the bill we're talking about, of course, we've covered on the show. Of course, you wrote a lot about it. It's, um, the Sarah Nelson and Ann Davison, Republican Ann Davison, uh, the city prosecutor, their bill to make drug possession a, misdemeanor at the city 
um, a gross misdemeanor. It has to do with all the 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 you know Supreme Court overturning the whole saga of the Supreme Court overturning um, drug criminalization at the state level. The, by the time it gets to the city doing this, it is purely political, um, which Andrew Lewis, which is fucking, this is the problem. This is like why Andrew Lewis is where he is, which is nowhere. because like he doesn't understand that it's it's this is basically political. Yes, these people want to criminalize and punish people who are addicted, who are having problems, who are poor and on the streets, whatever. They want to use the police to enforce uh, our regime our labor regime and 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 poverty regime in this country blah 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 but also it's just political it's a it's part of a political narrative of look the city doesn't prosecute uh drugs so look we're doing something to change that and then when it doesn't work because it's insane the whole mechanics of it like make no (laughs) sense in the real world they're going to also be able to use that politically to say, like, look, this doesn't work. We have to do more, something different. Because basically what Andrew Lewis, who, again, like, was going to vote for, says by his own admission in council when he cast the no vote first, he says, I was planning to vote for this. He's weepily saying, <laughs> but I can't because we just need more discussion. And what we, uh, the sense that we got, and, you know, tell me if you have a, a different sense of this from your coverage, um, from your reporting, is that people like attorneys at the city sat him down and were like, this is insane bullshit. The county does this. We already have mm-hmm. a system of prosecuting uh, people for drug possession. And to duplicate it at the city is pointlessly wasteful and not possible. Like we can't physically actually, this isn't going to do anything because like there is no capacity for doing this. If unless you're going to fund like a bunch more judges and courtrooms at the city, if you want to do this, like it's the County's responsibility. That's why it's divided up this way. Like the status quo is already working to prosecute the drug war. Or if you want it more, the argument that like, argument here would be like if you want to prosecute the drug war more do it at the county level because it has the systems in place to do it already and thus this thing at the city is just bullshit it's just political bullshit that's designed to make political points to designed to discipline designed to get those votes on the record designed to be in the news and carry uh the narrative of the unprosecuted drug war here that we need to step up the Ann Davison narrative designed to put people like Lewis in a bind or discipline them for by making them vote for something that's fucking stupid and makes no sense. But he doesn't get that. So he, again, no, not because of any commitment to opposing the drug war, which would have you voting against it on principle. Anyway, he fine with the drug war gets told it's insane nonsense. And thus like, he's like, I have to be the, the the responsible adult in the room and vote against this until we can figure out what the hell is going on. I mean, it, do you have any different sense of that? I don't know. There was, <laughs> there was some good points made in there. Um, I don't know. I don't know why he changed his mind that day. I think maybe somewhere inside himself, he he doesn't think that jail is a way to treat like public health crises. I know that he like one of his first victories on the city council was to repeal those like really bad loitering 
laws. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe there's just like some internal conflict of like feeling like you're moving away from something that maybe initially you had, I don't know. Those just seem related to me. Those like those laws seem similar. So it, I think it's, yeah. I don't know if someone sat him down and said, look, this is redundant or this is whatever. Or if it's just like everything happened at once. And it's all so fast. I don't know. Yeah. But that, that was probably. our reporting. I mean, though it, here. That, that was our reporting though. It does not like have the same uh, journalistic standards as yours. So um, <laughs> it's just basically hearsay. If you heard it from three people, it's true. You know, that, <laughs> that's fine. Fair enough. But um, whatever is going on in his mind, I mean, it, there's like, I, I think that's it. He thinks like he has to be the smart guy in the room. But then, uh, you know, within a week or something, right, they get a slightly watered down bill that you know, it's still this has the same kind still has the same like problems with it, but he makes himself feel better by again, like you, as you put it, pretending there's money for treatment and, and votes for it. I mean, is there anything else you'd say about the, his version that they ended up passing? No, I mean, I think that he would say it's like super different and it like, he really thinks that the version he like negotiated with the mayor and with his like group of stakeholders or whatever is the reason why there's been fewer than maybe expected arrests associated with this. But I mean, what Ashley will tell you, Ashley Nurbervig at the stranger who covered this so well, what she'll friend of the show, friend of the pod. She's been on the boat. I have not. Um, I know. I was you're, so you're sad. Like I was old, sorry. You're like the only person at the stranger who has not been on the boat. I'm sorry. When I, is back I've in town, been told. You'll have I to know. We've had Ashley. That. We've had Charles. You know, we got to get you. We got to get you over here. Charles. Uh, oh my God. I'm so sad. But anyway, she'll tell you that the real problem isn't that like, I mean, it is a problem that people are getting arrested for drugs. Obviously that's like the fuck you're just using drugs and you're going to get arrested. That's like yeah. cringe. But like, um, <laughs> The other thing is it allows like for like frisking, you know, like cops yeah. can just like come up to you more. They have more of an excuse to bug you and then hit you for something else. So it's like, even if there's these fewer arrests that Andrew is claiming is like his success, fewer, I don't even know like how, why people, I think it's like 90 or something. I don't know why that is an acceptable number or at what number would be acceptable. But like, um, even if there is not this huge onslaught of a million arrests for drug use i mean it seems like to me and to ashley who i trust with my life that this could lead to more arrests for other things unrelated because it's a a way in the door to people it does it does what also bad yeah it does what criminalization of anything does it allows it gives opportunity for the police to to harass uh unwanted populations it's also i think it's the real like, part of it was it's a way of reversing. Um, it's a way for the council and a narrative that worked for them for reversing the sort of previous, the policies put in going back to under Murray order, you know, ordering Seattle police to uh, slow down on various drug related interactions under, you know, a set of directives from the mayor's office, you know, as city policy. And this like allows them to reverse that by a different method by like making it moot because making that policy 
um, moot by because there's a new law that the previous policy does not apply to. So yeah, it the mm-hmm. point is to increase Seattle police's uh, ability to direct them to hassle more people um, and arrest more people, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, so he ends up voting for, I mean, do you, did you get a sense covering this that he was hearing from labor either like in the run up to that vote after he voted against it at all? Like was he, or, you know, after he then voted for the new version, do you, do you get a sense that he was hearing from labor at all? One way or the other after the, at any point during this, I guess like was unite here or anybody like chiming in with Mm. a position on this? Like what was labor's position on this? Do you know? I'm not sure. Labor is like hard because it's like not necessarily the left, but yeah. um, I think labor is yeah, they probably may not like, have you know, weighed in on it. I don't know. I think I mean they're definitely like union groups or like people who are labory um, in public comment and stuff. But I'm not sure exactly like what they were telling him or if they were really specifically in his ear. I mean, well, do you have a sense that business was then, or like what was in his ear? that made him change like why like obviously like i think the easiest answer of like why he changed his mind is like he wanted to do it in the first place and he just got himself a version that he didn't feel as bad about right but like do you sense there was outside pressure on him i mean of course there was but like do you sense like Mm -hmm. any groups in particular or any council members like is there a narrative that your reporting has made you aware of of like what was going on that got him to that place i think this bill was the most yeah this bill was just like the most important bill in the world for like downtown seattle association in the chamber Mm -hmm. and so if you want them to give you money then you you do this um and so i think maybe he thought well I'll, i'll make a bill that feels a little bit better and i'll tell john Scholes that it's still great for him and everyone will just understand yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, that was my memory from the time. It's like, it, yeah, it was yeah. everywhere. So I'm sure he was getting calls from yeah. uh, everyone. everyone. I, You know, there's probably something to say there about, like, the role of labor in politics uh, when it restricts itself to what it thinks of as strictly labor issues, you know. Um, it's very possible they weren't, like, weighing in uh, on that and taking a neutral position. I don't know. But, like, you can imagine that they that they weren't and like this he was only hearing from the uh the political forces he was courting who were for it you know i don't know and i mean again like this the way yeah labor works they who knows what they were for i don't know um Mm -hmm. i don't know what unite here would have said about that so ultimately then you know he does this um uh, maybe in his mind because he, he thinks it's the right thing, but also he is probably hoping like uh, passing this bill, as you said, finally is going to set things right for him politically. Um, but then he loses. And this is, you have some of his reminiscence here on his loss related to this. Um, Lewis said voters inundated him and his campaign team with questions and complaints about his initial vote during canvassing this is as he's campaigning uh, for re-election. He said these voters misunderstood how to solve the issue of addiction due largely to the, quote, bad narratives, unquote, perpetuated by TV News, the Seattle Times editorial board 
and other conservative pundits that make money off viewers' fear. Even if the vote cost him the election, he does not regret it. People want any, uh, quote, people want anything that looks like action and criminalizing something looks like action, unquote. He said, quote, an ordinance is a tool. And if you're going to have a tool, you need to have a plan to effectuate that tool. I didn't sign up for the city council to pass cheap symbolic ordinances that make people feel like they're doing something. I find, you know, that to be a pretty remarkable quote because like, I think what he passed in the end was exactly that. Uh, it, it was a a symbolic, ineffectual thing that he just got himself comfortable with. Like, yeah, tell tell us more I about think. like like his feeling about like you know the voters. What does he think of the voters on this issue? I mean, I think he's right that voters, I don't think that he necessarily came to the right conclusion in his bill, but I think he's right that voters are, um, especially like higher propensity voters are like misinformed um, about what's going to solve the issues that they see in their communities. And I don't know if you're just like, so much of like our issues, like we're not thinking about it very deeply if you're just like some random homeowner and you walk two blocks and there's like an unhoused guy who's doing drugs like there you're like well he's gotta leave drugs are illegal and so you're like the cops have to come you know we only have it feels like to some people we only have like one fucking hammer and it's like criminalization so i understand why he views voters in kind of that cynical way of like the tv news has told you that the drug crisis and the related homelessness crisis is all about like crime and not enough police instead of like framing it as like a a housing issue and a poverty issue um, and a failure of the city to invest in that instead of a failure to invest in police. But I think it's sad when someone is like smart enough to see that, oh my God, all these crazies like think that, we can just arrest our way out of it and then to pass something that's still criminalizing drug use when you don't have to. I mean, Teresa Mosquita didn't vote for it. You know, you, it's not yeah. your hands really aren't as tight as you might think or pretend. It strikes. Yeah. It strikes me as more like liberal delusion of like he just he thinks like finding. Well, he says it right here in your article, um, quote, I think that in a lot of these things, the best answer is typically somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I think that it often disappoints a lot of people who have more extreme preferences when something is a bit more nuanced. I mean, I, again, like it's all this all perspective, I mean, right? That's but like, like the classic. That's the, the, the that's, classic. That's the classic. <laughs> nuance for its own sake. And this this delusion that because you've found a middle way, because you've found some nuanced levers to pull, because you've injected some nuance into something to imagine that you have found the correct middle way the good governance path the reasonable compromise when again like all they did was pass a pointlessly symbolic bill that is just designed to explicitly to criminalize addiction and poverty that is symbolic in the sense that it is already criminalized so just delusional but like is there any way is he just constitutionally like incapable because of who he is of 
like taking any of that responsibility? Is is there any sense that he felt like he could have done anything in this scenario, like that he had agency here to affect people's view of that situation, of his position in that situation? Meaning, if you know what I'm saying is like, does he have any sense that if he hadn't been, if he had chosen not to walk a middle path, that he could have won on having a more straightforward anti-carceral uh, position on this? Does that occur to yeah. him or is it just outside of his willingness? Like, From what we talked about when we kind of talked about, was there another way? Um, mm -hmm. I don't think he thinks there was another, with how fast the conservatives were doing their thing and how this mm -hmm. bill kind of skipped some of its process to go to a vote and there wasn't really a good amendment process. He thought that was the only time he could have killed it. And then um, it needed to come quickly. So they had to do their thing fast. But I think like to like a way to do it to like save his job. I don't think there was a way he could have voted no. Um, and I don't I don't think he thinks that either. He was kind of saying, no, I had to vote yes in that moment to win. For the chamber, at least, because it was like we were talking about the momentum thing. It's like it has to happen now. And he couldn't have. I asked, I was like, why didn't you just like tell the chamber, hey, can we like wait a week? <laughs> and he was like, that wouldn't have worked. So I don't know. I don't know what he could have done different to like save his career. Um, but I mean, he could have just said no altogether to like stop the bill because I don't know they probably could have got more people onto it or something. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, could he have does does he have any sense that by just opposing things like this and being vocal about it by maintaining that and making a political stand on it like he could have again, maybe not just in this instance, but again, he didn't lose by much. So I guess mm -hmm. he has this sense, right, that he had that the only chance was to do the conservative move. And that mm -hmm. was how you win. And like, is there any opening in the mind of a guy like this to think like, well, maybe there was another political path. Maybe if since I was yeah. elected on a kind of progressive slate, since I was elected with labor money, maybe I could have staked out a territory that where I would have gotten up to that vote and everyone would already know. Well, no, I'm voting against this because it's a stupid symbolic piece of shit and its only purpose is to criminalize poverty and addiction. I'm obviously against that end of story and not and never voted for it because that was his, you know, political program. Is it possible like does it enter into the mind of an Andrew Lewis that that was a possible path at any point that that was a choice he made politically to um to court the carceral minded homeowner and the the business lobby like I, is there did it enter his mind that he could have had another political path here from where he started yeah and i think that's sort of what my story is trying to get at it's like he'll tell this story of it was the conservatives who took down someone who was trying to be progressive and nuanced but it's like i mean there's another version of the story where you just were better for labor and you just were yeah. better for progressives and progressives didn't mm -hmm. have to second guess you all the time and then maybe you wouldn't have need, you could have had a Tammy Morales arc. Tammy Morales didn't have fucking money. She had yeah. like the normal amount of campaign money. And then, I don't know, labor gave her like 10,000 bucks, 16,000 bucks or something. You can win an election. And like Bob Kettle is not that much better of a candidate than Tanya Wu. He might even be a worse candidate than Tanya Wu. He's a very beatable person. Absolutely. If, 
yeah, so I think there is a there's definitely a world, and I think Tammy Morales is in that world, and Dan Strauss is in the other world where you're actually a conservative, and Tammy Morales is in the yeah. world where you're actually progressive, and they both mm-hmm. won, and Andrew Lewis yeah. even by just a little bit lost, and so I think yeah, I mean, pick a side, I guess, would be yeah. the way to the way to win, maybe. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, he was elected on the slate in 2019 that was heralded, you know, I mean, with all that money, and was heralded as the the slate that ran against the Amazon candidates, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so some, at some point, like it just seems so natural that you would think like, well, my path to staying here does not run through courting the chamber and the downtown Seattle association. It, that seems like a natural assumption. Like, again, it comes back to, Dancing with the one who brung you. But uh, like something about just how wet and slippery he is made him like think like, okay, now that I'm in, now that I'm here, however I got here is irrelevant. Now, obviously, I have to court the chamber. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's that's weird, Mm. isn't it? It's weird. (laughs) Sucks. Sucks. Uh, to end your article, you talked to him a, a little bit about the new council, like what the direction is, like what he sees going forward. And, um, you ask him about, you say now, you know, now that voters have a majority support, uh, for carceral, carceral solutions that to quote him look like action. Um, you ask him, you know, is this, uh, a fuck around and find out moment for conservatives? And, uh, he says some, you know, some nonsense and says, uh, well, he thinks that the candidates were earnest in their beliefs during the campaign. He's not convinced all of them are as rigidly ideological as some believe. Um, what do you think he means by that? Uh, <sighs> like what do you about what he thinks about the council and then what that says about like, you know, to sort of sum us up here, like what that says about his uh, political outlook, his personality, like how he thinks about mm. these things. Like, what does he mean when he says that they're not as rigidly ideological? Like a Sarah Nelson yeah. or a Bob Kettle. Well, I think he's kind of responding to me who thinks everyone's conservative. So I think he's kind of like saying like, <laughs> I don't know, Hannah, I think Joy will be fine. I think Kathy will be fine. I think that, I think he also believes that once people have the information, they'll come to the right conclusion. Like yeah. I think he, he thinks facts and logic or whatever. Uh-huh. So I, I think he's gonna, he thinks well, they have these great people at central staff before central staff got cold. Um, he died. So funny. He does. T- he says that in here like days before they got canned. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. He's like, they have these great experienced people at central staff. And to be fair, the new central <laughs> staff person is experienced. It's just, he's like clearly has a ideological bend from his time in the budget office. But um, so they'll get the facts from the nonpartisan central staff. And then once they have that, I think a lot of these people will, you know, maybe come to the right conclusion. And I think he's also trying to keep the door open and, you know, sound nice. No one wants to be like a dick. So, um, yeah, I think that's what he's trying to say. And I think specifically he's thinking like joy and Kathy are more normies and maybe he has hope for the vacant seat going to someone normal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it just seems like no, no, awareness that like he himself got pulled to the right by that same process by right mm. like he got in there 
again on a progressive slate or whatever, the anti, you know, Amazon candidates, the the labor guy, and was pulled to the right by getting in there, having the facts, having uh, the city, the mayor, the chamber in his ear, the other members of the council, like, and, you know, he ideologically, I would say, sees that as he was just doing good governance, but like, um, does he imagine that the people on the right are going to get pulled to the center? I guess he's, that's what he's saying. It's like everyone gets pulled to the center by reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. And I also think he's just trying to tell me like, girl, chill out. They're not that bad. I think he just like already <laughs> thinks that some of them aren't as conservative as maybe the woke media has led you to believe. But yeah, I mean, that's really fascinating. That's it's fascinating to, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe, uh, the council under Sarah Nelson will govern in, in this like centrist moderate way. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, again, that depends on what you mean by that, but, um, yeah. well, Andrew Lewis, we hardly knew ye. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a drier council, but you know, the city will, the city will go on. Everyone should really absolutely check out, um, Hannah's, all, all of Hannah's reporting. It's, you know, the, you want the best reporting on the city. It's Hannah Creek and the stranger. And, uh, in particularly this Lewis article is great. Um, we will link to it again. It's called drugs, hotel workers, waffles. What happened to council member Andrew J. Lewis? Any, uh, any further predictions for the next year in Seattle here? I'm excited to see where the rumor that Sarah Nelson wants to run for mayor will go. That's a really funny rumor. I think it's fake, but it's funny if true. And funny if not true, too, to have that rumor go around. That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, it is the kind of like generic political rumor that, you know, people Mm -hmm. just say when when someone's making... You know, when someone's having a glow up yeah. as she is, you know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. she's she wants to glow up even farther. Fair enough. Maybe mm-hmm. she does. Um, I guess we'll see how she likes her taste of of power in this position. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see it. I could see Seattle electing her. Uh, For sure. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> that said, no one I mean, no one's going to beat Harold. I mean. No. First of all, if he runs for re-election, obviously, like, and she she wouldn't run against him. But um, no one's going to beat him at being mayor. He is no. he is a genius at being mayor. Born for this. Born for this. A cartoon mayor. Bruce Harrell. He's he's out there doing it. Um, he's getting getting <laughs> shit done. Uh, even the cops like yeah. him. That's wild. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun. Uh, we'll keep reading, and event one of these days we'll we'll have you on the boat when Mooney is in town. We can all yeah when Brian isn't malingering. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll have you on, and, and we'll do that. Um, thanks so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, yeah thanks, Anna. This was awesome. Thank you.